There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here. Hello, this is Ron Stallworth calling. Well, who am I speaking with? This is David Duke, Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? God. Last time I checked. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans, and Irish, Italians, and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. Hi, I'm Mark Olson, and this is The Real, a podcast where culture and entertainment meet. I write about movies. Here are the times and a frequent topic of conversation among my colleagues on the entertainment staff is how tough it is for any of us to just keep up with the relentless wave of content between movies and TV. So this show is about the stuff that we're watching and how we watch it. Spike Lee is one of the most recognizable and influential filmmakers in America for more than 30 years, both on screen and off. With films such as Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, 25th Hour, and Inside Man, he's entertained, provoked, and educated in equal measure. With his latest film, Black Klansman, a barbed satire and deeply emotional inquiry into race and violence, Lee was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Director and Best Picture for the very first time. His longtime collaborators, composer Terrence Blanchard and editor Barry Alexander Brown, were also nominated for the first time for their work on one of Lee's films. On the afternoon of the recent Oscar nominees' luncheon, I was able to sit down with the three of them. To be honest, it was less an interview and more a chance to hang out with three old friends and colleagues, an opportunity to listen to them reminisce, remind, joke around, and give a sense of why they've continued their collaboration across decades. Let's listen in. Thank you to the three of you for being here today. I'm so excited to have you on this day. In particular, you've just been to the Oscar nominees luncheon. And maybe one way to kind of start talking about this is, Spike, what do you think it is about the movie Black Klansman that has been such a breakthrough for the three of you? And I don't really even mean just with being nominated for an Academy Award, but ever since the movie first premiered at Cannes, people have really been responding to this movie. What do you think it is about this movie in particular people are responding to? Well, there's several ways you can answer that question. One is timing. There's just a time. In this film, the stars were in alignment. Also, this film has connected the past with the crazy present day. And so those are two things that I think are the big standouts of why uh, everything has happened on this film. Barry, Terrence, for, for the two of you, what do you think it is that people are kind of responding to with regards to Black Landsman? Well, I can say one thing is that, you know, not... not say just, two things. Not I can say at least <laughs> two things. You know, and not to get into this too much, but I know that, you know, Spike can take a script to a new level. And he did on Black Klansman. I know he did with Kevin Wilmot. And from the time I read that script in the summer of uh, 2017, there was something there, right there already. And you look at how the film turned out. There's no deleted scenes. Spike shot the script. I cut the script. When Spike saw it on January 8th with Terrence, Terrence and Spike were in the room seeing this film for the first time on January 8th. And Spike was just like, that's it, that's it. You know, we're going for Can. We're going for Can. Because you felt it right then, right? And there was some magic there. And you were there too, which is unusual 
for Spike to ever have somebody in the room the very first time you see an entire cut. And it was a kind of magic that you were there because two months later, you were in the studio recording the score. <coughs> I think on week 10 yeah. of the director's cut. Yeah. It's just remarkable how quick this thing came together. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that they found this, I really do think that they found the magic right away in the script. And see, for me, what I think it is in terms of, well, there's a few things like Spike said. You know, the story itself, people go into the movie thinking they're watching a period film, which they are. And then you go through that entire story, which is very compelling, and then you get to the end, and then he puts that montage there. And we all like to think that, oh, that was then. But that montage says, yeah, but we haven't really moved too far away from that. That's like a starting wake-up call for a lot of people. I also think to what Barry was talking about, man, I, I've been telling people it's the culmination of us been working together for 30 years. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, people say, man, well, what are your Spike's discussions like? I mean, dude, we don't really have <laughs> no deep discussions. It's Telepathy. Not... <laughs> yeah, Telepathy. You know, people, ask not... <laughs> us, people ask us a couple of times recently, so how do you argue? How do you work out problems, arguments? And we look at it, we're on stage, we go, uh, we don't argue. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. You come up with an idea, you try it. I mean, what are you arguing right. about? Right. It, you know, right. the two of us, right. are, you know, it's working, it's not working. Right. You try something, right. oh, well, it didn't really work. But right. it always leads you to somewhere else, though. And for, me, and for me, dude, it's like, okay, so they bring me in after they've done all of this stuff, and I'm sitting there going, oh, shit okay, I got to rise to the occasion. You know what I mean? Because they've all done the great work, you know, and I'm looking at it going, wow, this is a hell of a story. And one of the things about Spike that's been like really amazing is he definitely has his own cinematic style and it's made everybody stretch. Because when I first met with him, Spike, the first thing he told me, he said, I don't like underscore. He said, don't hit a door slamming and none of that stuff. He says, I like melody, right? I want melody, thematic ideas, right? But that becomes challenging when he puts the music right in a scene where there's a lot of dialogue, but you got to figure out how to make it work. And through that process, we've kind of created this thing right. that's part of his, it's all in our wheelhouse now. And it's like, so the deepest discussion we might have is say, what haven't we done yet? That's what he'll say to me, right? And then I'll send him music. He says, oh, I want this, I want this, I want that. It's like cake work. You know, as a matter of fact, working with him spoils it for a lot of other people. Seriously, I know Barry probably has the same reaction. It spoils it working for a lot of other people because a lot of other people want to come in and go through the minutia of struggling to try to make things work. And it doesn't always have to be a struggle. You know, you said something to me once that was one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten. Hmm. I can't, I think it might have been Malcolm X. You said, you cut very musically. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, oh, yeah. man, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. No. Nice, that'd be nice to hear. Nice to hear from Maestro. <laughs> when you really respect somebody, you're like, oh. Yeah, because the thing is, like, people always ask me, say, man, do you start writing from the script? And I go, I tried that, but I stopped doing that. Because the way they put movies together, there's a rhythm to them. And you got to wait to see what that is. Because when I start to write from the script, he says something in an interview that hit me. He said, that's your movie. When you're reading the script, that's your movie. Because I'm creating all the images in my mind. That's not what the final product's going to be. I'll never forget, man, on Summer of Sam, there's a scene with Mira Salvino and John Leguizamo. So when you read the script, they're having an argument. They just came from a club. They're having an argument. But when they shot the scene, she gets out the car, and he shoots the empty seat in the car. That's not in the script. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when you see stuff like that, you go, oh, okay. You know, I can't jump the gun. And it's gotten to the point now where... You know, when we did uh, Miracle at St. Anna, 
he was so excited about what they were shooting. He was sending me stills. And as soon as I got the stills looked like artwork. You know what I mean? And I was sitting there going, it's one of those moments again where you go, oh, shit, I can see this is going to be something special. And I say that on every project we work on, you know? Everyone. And now, Spike, what does it mean to you to have this ongoing collaboration with the two of them? It's a team. It's a squad. And when the video of me, you know, when the announcement, that clip is for, that was the final one because when his name come up, I called Barry. Right. He's in a dentist chair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then I called I called Terrence. Yeah, yeah. Then I called Adam. Yeah. And he was shooting Star Wars yeah. in London. So I wanna just and so there's Adam. I mean he's 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 been around. I mean not around, but his first Barry. I mean, we go way back. And so I've never been nominated for a director before Best Picture. So there were a lot of firsts. So my joy to my down was a culmination of, of all of us. That wasn't just something got twisted like that was like that was for best director. Right. That was for best picture, which is everybody. everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about this too, man, I've been telling people, I said, the nomination is amazing, but man, I feel like these nominations are much bigger than us as individuals. You know, it's we're getting honored for all the work that we do, but because of the diversity issue that's been in question for the last how many years, right? Us being nominated, there's so many people that are like just jumping for joy. They're so happy that we've gotten nominated and they all are pulling for us because of this issue. And it's a cool thing to be a part of this history because hopefully this history. will be, be a sea change in the way things move forward. Because, Spike, I've heard you say a couple times that you've been excited by the fact that people have been talking about Black Klansmen and you've been talking about Black Klansmen now for the better part of a, a year almost. Oh, Lord. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> that you, you feel like people are Help sort of... Jesus. <laughs> you feel like people are sort of reassessing your entire body of work. No, what, what I did say, sir, is that one of the gifts of this film is that people have been going back mm. and look at films they might have missed, re-looked at, I mean... Miracle St. Anna, Bamboozled. Mm -hmm. People love 25th Hour Now. No one saw it when it came out. And so that's been to get people going back and look at the body of work. So that, that's been cool. Mm -hmm. When you look back at that body of work, are you looking at it differently now? Nah. I mean, it's good. And see, and see, that's the thing that, <laughs> see, this is the thing that I've been saying about them. People say, man, what's it like with those? I said, dude, I've been working with these dudes for 30 years. And one of the things that has always been the constant is that they love making movies. They love making films. And they want to do what's best for the story. It never, ever has been driven by ego or anything other than what's best for the not, story. Not, and definitely, not, says, a, and definitely not Academy Awards. Then right? he said, but on the down low. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's up with all these words, man. You know, musicians. We need music yeah, for more. <laughs> yeah, you know, these, this dialogue keeps getting in the way of the music. <laughs> 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 hey, Tommy! Hey, Tommy, Tommy, can you, uh, who, are they, who cares what they're saying? <laughs> but now, Barry, if you can, take me back to the first time you worked with Spike. I think the first movie you cut for him was School Days? Yeah, but we always worked together, even before that. You know, we were friends for years before that. And, you know, Spike asked me to help him out if she's got a habit. I don't think I ever read the script. But, you know, your buddy is making a feature. And it's like, what? You got it together to make a feature? Yeah, what do you want me to do? At that moment, he said, you know, I need some sound editing. And he knew that I was doing a lot of my own sound editing for the documentaries I was doing at the time. And then he had a problem with one scene. And he said, you know, can you try your hand at it? And I tell him, 
we were doing this work in this converted garage this bike lived in. Remember? And this guy who owned the house in the garage would turn the heat down. And it was wintertime. And it was cold. Mm. And it was like, what? You know? <laughs> but that's what we were the doing. The steam back took up the whole living room. Living room. Yeah. There was no living room. Living room. Yeah. It was the living, yeah, yeah. The living Studio. space. Living space. So that was the way it was. I mean, if I was doing things, I did this documentary about Philippe Petit and another great walk he did in New York City. And Spike came in to help me out on that before that. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it was always a thing of you ask your friends. Because I know maybe this is an awkward question for me to ask you in front of Spike. But for you, how has he developed as a filmmaker over the years. Are oh, you, he's come are a you long, still long Are you surprised? By <laughs> oh, he's come a long, long way. You should have seen him back then. <laughs> I saved every one of those pictures at the beginning. <laughs> you know, no, we all, we all grow. We, we all grow, grow up we grow, together. We grow. And the thing about the, what's great about working together is that you're learning the language of it. Because the first films are like, wow, right? It's just like, wow, what are we doing? Hmm. And even the first time you get on a set, and it's a real set with a real crew, and it's a big crew. I mean, I, the first time I saw that on school days, I was intimidated. I don't know how you thought, Spike, but that was like, wow. You know, so you grow together, and you learn from each That's other. That's a beautiful thing right there. And, dude, let me tell you, that carries over into the music. Because when he called me to do Jungle Fever, I had already done a scene in, my, in uh, Mobile Blues. And I'm glad you said that, because when I walked into the studio and saw 70 musicians sitting there, and they're waiting for me to come out there, you go, oh, shit. You know what I mean? It's one of those moments. But the thing that's cool about it is that they didn't show no fear, so I tried not to show no fear. You know what I mean? And you go out there and you start to do your job, and the next thing you know, the craft takes over. It's like, okay, but that needs to be better. All right, let's do another take. Then you forget about all of the other stuff. And that's the thing that, man, I'm telling you, like watching them two work, and when you sit down, and it's funny because, you know, sometimes Spike would bring me in for the spotting session, but that doesn't mean that their brains get turned off. You know what I mean? So we'd have to try to figure out where music goes, and then all of a sudden Spike go, Barry, Barry, but wait, Barry, go back, go back, mm-hmm, go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do that again. What's, what's that? You know what I mean? And nah, you know what? You know what? You know what? <laughs> I do that? Yeah. Oh, you personally yeah, 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 yeah. Right, 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 right. Right, go, Terrence, Terrence, wait, wait, hold on. Terrence, but, no, see, no, see what we need. <laughs> because, Terrence, I can only imagine how difficult it must have been for you in the first few films that you scored for Spike, considering the fact that his first few films were scored by his father the mighty bill lee and that were you intimidated by having to sort of fill those shoes in particular i'm never intimidated in my life no of course <laughs> but, 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 of but course. even before that i might jump in yeah terrence played on those i played sports. on them. he so, played on them. yeah so that's part of the intimidation is like i actually saw it and i remember when i saw she's gotta have it before i started working with him and i heard the music and i went wow well that's a different type of music for film it's very melodic and i went wow that's kind of killing to hear like a jazz band do that. The next thing you know, I'm called to be, was the school days? Do school that? days, school, school days. days. And I'm in the session and I'm watching his dad do all of this stuff with all of these great musicians in the room. And the cool thing about it was these were musicians who didn't necessarily get a chance to work on films. So everybody was eager to do their best and they were great musicians, right? And then it goes from that to do the right thing to more better blues and it just kept progressing. And I was lucky enough to be on all of those sessions. So I got a chance to see how it was working. And prior to that, bro, 
I never had no aspirations to be a film composer. Zero. I was going to be the next Miles Davis. You know what I mean? I was going to change the world playing my horn. But when I saw what was going on and I studied composition, I said, man, this is that would be a kind of a cool gig. And lo and behold, I got a chance to write something for one of the scenes and then everything turned. But my life, the, my life the, totally the, changed. The, the film a little bit, the fill in a little bit. Terrence, Branford, Donald Harris, and Winton, all those cats, that's like two sets of brothers. They moved to Brooklyn. They moved to Fort Greene. Right. <laughs> right. Where I live. And they know about my father. Right. So it was like, almost like, spiritual way, that whole thing came together. Yeah. We all lived in the same neighborhood. And, and it was great. It was Love sports, too. You love sports. Look, okay, first session. Very first first time I'm meeting him. I walked in, man, the Lakers had just beat the Celtics. I had the hat. I had a Lakers hat, T-shirt. I even had the purple and gold Converse, man. <laughs> He's standing at the door meeting everybody. I don't even know him from Adam, man. I, I walk in the first time. He looks me up in the down. He goes, Lakers fan, huh? <laughs> and I go, yeah, man. You know what I'm saying? Magic. You know what I mean? Next thing you know, he got, Terrence, I got these tickets. You want to go to the game? Then uh, months later, I'm going, take them, Pat. Take them. Pat, you Yeah. yeah. I had to give up my purple and gold, man. Mm-hmm. Became hey, a Knicks fan. You know, Spunky and I, we like to cut pretty tight, right? There's a certain amount of times in the movies we don't give Terrence much a place. You know, but if you look at 25th Hour, one of the most gorgeous scenes is, is a scene that does not have any edits. Hmm. It's this incredible camera move. It comes way up. They're walking over to the East River. You know, the three friends and the early morning light. And it's just gorgeous. And and there is where Terrence had a moment where he could just go. No dialogue. It lasts for a while. You know what I remember about that scene? I said, Terrence, we need a a pause here. Because the tugboat is going to Oh, yeah. There's a tugboat sound. Right, right. The tugboat right, going right, down right, the East River. Right. I said, Terrence, right. let's have a pause. Here. Right, right. <laughs> Man, so you, but you, know, you, know, you know you know, what the scenes are for me, though? Miracle at St. Anna with the soldiers walking, oh, walking gorgeous, across. Gorgeous. Man, I'm, you know what was so interesting about that? I'm telling you, it's like I'm like one of the last line of defenses in this process, right? So, like, when I'm getting all of this stuff and I'm sit watching this stuff, I'm going, wow, this is amazing. The way it looks, the way it feels. You know, one of the things I always say about Spike's movies, you could stop it on pause down there anywhere in the movie and it'll look like a perfectly framed photo or a painting. Yeah, somebody asked me recently about my favorite scenes from films I've cut for Spike. And that was one of the scenes I, I pulled out. Really? Is that battle scene. That battle scene at the river. I love that battle scene. That battle scene the, at the river, The first man. one? Yeah, where yeah. they're going through the, through the Oh, grass. yeah, but the way we where we started. Yeah. No, what's hip is that we used the cut where his foot hits the, 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 the puddle water, in, water. In, 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 yeah. in Rome. Yeah. And then, boom, then we're in uh, yeah. Yeah. Italy. Yeah. 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 But that whole, you know, and that even how that battle unfolds at the river. But I got to tell you a funny thing about Spike. So when you're in the studio with Spike, man, all the musicians are trying to get a gig. Not all of them. No, I ain't going to say all of them. But a number of them, right? And they all bring extra instruments. So, <laughs> what? So as always a thing with me. When I see Spike to go out in the studio where the musicians are, I'm like, uh-oh, hold on. Wait a minute. <laughs> Let me see. So Spike can go. So next thing you know, you hear, Terrence! <laughs> <laughs> so... I come on, I go. Twenty fifth hour, right? I said, I said, I said, uh, I said, uh, hey man, what's he said? Got these Irish whistles. 
We got we got to use these. We got to find a place to use these, but we got to find a place to use them. I'm like, all right, cool. Then we had bagpipes. Well, bagpipes we already knew we were gonna use. But and the percussionist, when we record here in LA, they always bring a lot of toys and stuff. And he goes back there, and, and it's like he's like a kid in a candy store, man. Back there, and then he goes, Terrence, you find a place to use. And I'm like, okay, so that's a ratchet. Where am I gonna put a ratchet in the scene? <laughs> you know. What and then I mean? Terrence is saying to these guys. All right, I don't want to see any of you showing up <laughs> with anything but what you play. <laughs> if I bring your ass back next time. What, are those spoons? Are those spoons? <laughs> handbone? We're not doing no handbone either. Get those spoons out of here. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's Ooh. funny. Now, Terrence, tell me about developing your style as a composer. I know for myself, when I think of your work, I think of these kind of big brassy horns laid in with a lot of strings as well. And for me, it's very reminiscent of the work of like Jerry Goldsmith or Quincy Jones. And I don't know if you, those are people who are an influence Jerry Goldsmith. on you. For you, how do you feel like over the course of your collaboration with Spike, have you kind of developed your style, your sound. Miles Goodman was was my mentor in the business, man. Miles came to one of Spike's screenings for one of the earlier films we had done. And I told him, I said, man, I want your honest critique. And uh, he said, no, man, your weaknesses are your strengths. And I was upset with him a little bit for that. But he told me, he said, listen, if I tell you anything, you say you're going to sound like everybody else in L.A. And he said, no, you just keep developing. And one of the things, that's what I was talking about earlier, with his cinematic style, it challenges you. I still remember when we did Summer Sam, there were some scenes with the Italians that had a lot of important information, some of it comedic, but there was important information in the scene, right? And he kept telling me, you know, to put the theme there. And I said, you sure? You sure? And I remember I bugged him a little bit. And he goes, it's been scientifically proven that the brain can concentrate on more than one thing at one time, right? (laughs) She told me that, right? So I'll never forget that line. So I remember I was trying to figure out how to do that. So I started to learn more about orchestration that way. Problem solving is a thing that helped develop a style. You know what I mean? And and that's the thing I'm really appreciative of because I could have come in there and said, okay, this is the way you score this scene and wouldn't have learned anything. You know, but by him saying, no, 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 no. I want to have melodic stuff right through this. It caused me to be able to take, for example, to take a, a melody and then to take a couple of beats and stretch them a little bit so some dialogue could dip in there and you stretch it a little bit here so dialogue uh, spill in there. But when you watch the movie, it feels like it's doing like this. It doesn't feel awkward at all. And then, Barry, when I think of Spike's movies, one of the things that I think about the most is that they always are really combining so many different tones. Like, pretty much everyone is funny, it's dramatic, has big emotional beats. Here with Black Klansman, there's a satiric element to it. And I would think that bringing those elements together, a lot of that comes down to the cutting. And is that a challenge for you to sort of marry those tones? I think it's from the get-go, you know? I don't think either one of us think in terms of genres, right? I mean, mean, people think... It's the storytelling. Storytelling. You know, and there's so many times, I guess, I don't know, people think of, well, it's a genre, it's a comedy, it's a drama, it's mm-hmm. it's a thriller, it's, right. you know, this is I'm a so bank tired of shit. You know, and neither one of us can really quite think this way. So in terms of moving through all these different things, I think it just kind of comes natural to us in terms of what's interesting at this moment. Right. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. interesting? Come on now. Come on, Barry. You know, because you know what's interesting about you saying that? What's interesting <laughs> in this moment, right now, about you saying that. In this moment in time and space. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> As we sit here. Is that, <laughs> is that I've, I've been flustered by so many people asking me about the humor in the, in the film. And I go, but he always has humor in this film. Yeah, it's human. Right. You know what I mean? Do the right thing is funny as a motherfucker. Right. It's human. Right. 
Yeah. Well, can you talk a little bit about that, Spike? I mean, are you aware of the way that you're, for other people, it seems like such an unusual combination of tones that you have in, in your movies, Black Klansman in particular. People are very limited in their thinking. You look at Inside Man, you know, where there's a line that Denzel comes up on the spot, which is about the Sikh after he's been arrested and they're sitting in this diner and they're going through this whole thing about and the Sikh is talking about how, like, you know, hey, you know, I, I don't have such an easy time, blah, 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 blah. And Denzel looks at him right. and goes, you can catch a cab, though. <laughs> you can, but you can catch a cab, though. And, and, then, and I know that when we were watching that in dailies, it's silence, 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 cut. Everybody burst out. <laughs> Spike burst out laughing. He comes into the frame. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good one but, by but Denzel. But that's the kind of thing. When that happens, you got to use this. you got to use yeah. it, right? It's a crime not to use that. Criminal. Well, love the thing about it. It's real. It's mm-hmm. real. It's yeah. real. <laughs> you know, and you still can't get a cab. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and even there's other oh, times, man. like in dailies, where, like, we were watching the part of the assassination of Malcolm X, and there was a shot where Angela Bassett runs up onto the stage, and she's crying, 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 crying. And then Spike yells, cut, and the camera keeps rolling, and Angela looks up, and she is just drained. Oh, wow, yeah. She, and that is a real moment. And when we were in dailies, everybody went, oh. Wow. Because it's real. Right. You're not acting anymore. It's real, and and the you know, and that's the kind of thing you look for and you hope for. And when it happens, well, that's what you use. It's magical when it happens. And now, Spike, tell me a little bit about how you like working with actors. I, I mean, obviously your collaborations with Denzel, but then here with Adam Driver, with John David Washington. How do you work with actors to sort of get the best performance out of them? And are you thinking about giving Barry a lot of options when you get back to the cutting room? Well, I don't think it's about options. We gotta get the thing done. Spike doesn't direct this thing where he says, "Okay, now we tried that. That's really good. Now we're gonna change it all up." <laughs> he doesn't do that. No, he's going after something. He's in the moment on the set, and when he gets it, he's got it. Let's move on. I mean, I don't think I've done anything different with actors on this film. The other ones, the biggest thing is you gotta cast the right motherfuckers. Here's the thing. Too, that's about that's you gotta cast the right people. The right people. Yep. That's number one. Right. And let me tell you something else about this dude. How you going to build a team, a GM, and you got scrubs, and you want to win? What's that thing you always say? If you got Michael Jordan on your team, (laughs) you got to let him shoot. (laughs) Let me tell you something else, too. I've worked with a bunch of other people, right? And it's something, for me, it's important. It may not be important to a lot of other people. This dude never goes over budget. And I find that so interesting because there are other people, man, they go over budget and money starts to flow and stuff starts to come in. No, 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 no. That doesn't happen here. So there's also a genius in how to work within the confines of the resources that you have. Spike's a professional. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what it really comes down to. Because people don't know what we did. He knows how to make a movie and he's he's sane. When we did uh, When the Leverage Broke, what, they gave us two-hour money? Mm -hmm. That's all we had. But it's a four-hour documentary. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's brilliant, you know, because, again, it goes back to what? The story is important. He, and he, I remember, first of all, let me just tell you this. People don't know this. I always tell this story. I was affected by Hurricane Katrina. I'm out and living in, uh, I'm, I had to 
move out to L.A. Luckily, I had an apartment there because I used to teach at USC. So there's my family, my wife, my two younger kids in this apartment. He usually flies me to New York. He says, no, stay out there, man. Stay with your family. You got to stay with your family. When he walks in the door, man, he didn't even say hi. You know the first thing he told me? He said, I'm going to do a documentary. I'm going to let those people tell their story, right? So he understood the importance of documenting and telling the story. So when it came to that, and we only got enough resources to do our documentary, he was like, oh, hell no. That's not what the story is. The story is much bigger than that. And they said, well, this is all you have. And then he said, no, but this is what I'm going to make. And we all knew it, and everybody just understood the importance of like telling a story. So that's how it developed. Spike, do you feel like that's part of the importance or what this collaboration means for you is that level of craft, like the way in which you as a filmmaker everybody's can really committed, be the best. committed to their craft. And the more everybody's in control of that craft, the better the story can be told. And it's a commitment. Also, another thing I like to say is that we all love what we do. I can't speak for my fellow brothers right here, but I wouldn't trade anything I do. And when you love what you do yeah. and you work when people do the same, I mean, it's a great feeling. It's like, it's like sports. Right. When you're on a great team and you and you guys are clicking and all centers, yeah. well, everybody loves each other. It gets long. Everybody just wants to win. Yep. And that you, shit don't happen all the time. Nope. <laughs> and you can't beat them, boy. Yeah. But it's so interesting, man, to- Can I just say this real quick? Yeah. That's the feeling getting in a band, right? I missed that. That's the same thing as a band. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We got everybody's hitting it. Yeah. Everybody's on the same page. Mm. When I saw She's Gotta Have It, I think I was in Chicago and I had a day off and I went to the movies- and I'll never forget it. I said, oh, man, I'm going to see this movie. This young dude, man, making this movie. And it was a wild thing because the movie theater itself, before the movie started, they were playing like Charlie Parker, John Coltrane with Johnny Hartman. They were playing all of this great jazz stuff. And I'm sitting there going, well, first off, this is some different shit already. <laughs> Just before the movie even started, I never experienced this in the theater. You know what I mean? So then when the movie started, i never forget when I came out, my prayer you know, was, man, I would love to work with somebody that is as committed to their craft as I am in a different genre to help me grow. And, and then lo and behold, what happens years later? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's it was a, a mistake, crazy. though. Yeah. You guys did not have to move to Fort Greene. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you guys yeah. could stay in New Orleans. I mean, there's so many things that yeah. have happened. It's, it's not a mistake. It was, you know, it was ancestor spirits, you know what we want to call it. It's- I'm going to tell you something funny, though, about working with Spike when we all lived in Fort Greene. <laughs> well, we lived in Spike New Year's in the neighborhood. <laughs> Seven o'clock. Terrence. <laughs> and this is always the funny thing about Spike. Come on, you know his voice whenever you hear him, right? <laughs> but Spike will call you up. I don't know if he does it. He goes, Terrence. I say, yeah, Spike. <laughs> I'm like, no kidding. <laughs> 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 and then, and then he'll, he'll go, 7 o'clock a.m., right? We got a meeting at 8. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, bro, I'll be there. Because <laughs> we all, that's why we all lived in the neighborhood. That's why I won't move to Fort Greene. <laughs> <laughs> he stays in these buildings. <laughs> yeah, because we live like blocks from each other, man. Oh, man. Did I ride my bike over? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Now, Barry, one of my favorite things in Black Klansman is the way that it uses the footage both from Gone with the Wind and then especially D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. And can you tell me a little bit about those sequences in the movie and for you working with this pre-existing footage, cutting those scenes together? Is, is that a challenge? I mean, everything is a challenge, you know, for Gone with the Wind. I mean, that's all Spike. I mean, Spike said, this is where we're going to start the movie. And then he had to work that out with Warner Brothers. 
And then the other ideas. They never ever released that shot before, which is considered one of the greatest shots in the history of American cinema. And then later on, when it came down to the Klan watching the movie, I Spike just turned to me and said, "Listen, we need we need ten minutes of this, you know, because it's you know thirty five millimeter. It's about a ten minute roll." He says, "Put together ten minutes, right?" And he never asked me. He didn't say, "Okay, it's got to be this ten minutes." You know, I put it together, sent it over to him. And he said, yeah, it's good, you know, and we got to project it. So, I mean, I had already was thinking about what sections and what's going to work with it with the crowd. It's a long movie. Ten minutes, you got to take little bits and pieces. But still, it's got to be enough of bits and pieces that, you know, it's not a montage. So, no, I mean, it wasn't difficult. But the thing about it, we don't start at square one. I mean, we're doing things like that, you know, and he's relying on me. And, and there's a constant conversation as we go, you know. That's a key word right there. I'm going to tell you right now, I tell people this all the time. Spike trusts you so much that it works the other way. And I, I tell young people this all the time. I said, when a dude trusts you like that, you do your damnness never to try to let them down because they're giving you a lot of room to do your You try. Thing, you know. You try not to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you definitely try not. That's for, that's for but sure. But every once in a while. <laughs> but you should also yeah. talk about uh, the thing with Alec Baldwin, that stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing about I cut the Ali Baldwin thing, I mean, there is that projected over the image of Baldwin. But, you know, I cut that pretty straightforward, that first cut. And Spike came in, and he was like, oh, you know what? Baldwin was doing all this stuff with his voice, you know, and repeating over and over and over and talking to the script supervisor, you know? I like that. I want to use that. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, and he said something in that. He said, you know, it's artifice. You can't show the artifice of this guy. Right. right. You, I don't know if I use that word. You can't <laughs> use that word, artifice. I use artifice? Spike is a very well-educated. <laughs> he's, he's got a master's Public degree. He's got a master's Public school. Not Brooklyn. like me. Just got a high school diploma out of Montgomery, Alabama. You know? <laughs> Well, it's funny because oh, he, man. Mr. Bonehats, he's like, thinks he does clear his voice. And, <laughs> so when we were done, I said, Alec, my man, can I use that stuff that you were doing? I said, yeah, Spike, do you want to do? It's so unusual. It's so out there. I like it. I mean, once Spike gives me the freedom to do that, I was like, yeah. And then we had to bring back Kim Director for voice yeah. to be the, like, the script supervisor. The script supervisor. Yeah. And then I want to be sure to ask you all about the collaboration on the Charlottesville sequence that is the end of the film. And Spike, first of all, I know it's something that people have been really talking to you about a lot. Are you Lord ever, have mercy. Are you concerned <laughs> that that part of the film overwhelms the rest of the story? No, not at all. I think Same the, story. I think it does the exact opposite. Yeah, I was going to say. I think it gives it depth. I think that scene is, is just a cherry on top of the cake. But people ask me, though, you know, they say, it seems so seamless, hmm. you know, and your editing is so great. It seems so seamless. I think, yeah, well, you know, it's really the music. That music at that moment is what's carrying us from the movie into this epilogue, coda, whatever you want to call it. The music that carries us there. And that was Spike's idea. I had another idea for the ending, but that was his idea. And he said, man, you got to trust me. You got to trust me. But I think the thing that's the most phenomenal about the film is to get to the end of the movie, and when you get to the flag, every screening that I've been at, mm -hmm. every screening, mm -hmm. when you get to the flag, you can hear a pin drop. You know what I mean? And to me, that speaks to the overall wake-up call 
from the film that we were talking about earlier because you go through this journey, you go through this ride, and you see all the stuff with the Klan, and there's a couple of jokes or references to Trump. Or they would never elect somebody like that, and boom, 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 boom. And then you kind of think the movie's over. Then all of a sudden, this thing pops up, and we actually see David Duke. You know, we actually see my man saying good people on both sides. And it's a startling thing to experience, you know. I've had people come up to me in tears talking about this movie and how this movie has changed their life, you know. And I think it speaks to our own inadequate approach to just dealing with social issues, you know. We've gotten complacent. We're just sitting on the sideline. And I think the movie says, you know, you can't do that anymore. You got to get up. You got to be active, man. But Barry, what was it like for you working with that footage? I mean, there's just the emotions that you must be feeling having to sort of watch it and sit through it. But then also your background in, in documentary, I don't know if that sort of like helps you in putting that sequence together. Um, probably does. But, you know, Spike laid out the beats from the beginning. He said, you know, Candlelight March. And, you know, and we both knew, I don't even know if we ever talked about it, but we know, both knew it's going to have to be tight. You can't have like a whole new movie at the end of this movie. If you look at the end of Malcolm X and you look mm. at the end of mm. Black Klansmen, there are similar ideas are going on there. Because Spike had said to me, you know, when we did Malcolm X, and, you know, he said, when Malcolm dies, it's the last time we see Denzel as Malcolm. And in both cases, a lot of, you know, gathering the footage and the photos, you know, a lot of that, he said, do it. You know, and so... That, he, I had to jump real quick. I didn't know David Duke was there. We didn't know. We didn't know. Judy Ailey found that footage, our longtime best researcher in the world. And she said, uh, do you want that David Duke stuff from, you know, when he spoke to them in the park? And we went, there was David Duke there? <laughs> yeah. Mm. That was a godsend. Yeah. yeah. You know? Because you see, Topher get this magnificent performance, performance of, of motherfucking David Duke. And then you see the real motherfucker. Right. And you feel it's the same guy. But it's interesting you bring up Malcolm X. I was quite lucky. I saw a screening of Malcolm X recently here in Los Angeles. The, the three of you were all there. Right. And 30, it was 70, 70. 70 millimeter. It was a beautiful, beautiful 70 millimeter print. And I was so surprised. I had forgotten in the opening credits to Malcolm X, you mm. used the footage of the attack on Rodney King. Yeah. And so in some ways, this, this is something. New. This ain't some new shit. We've been doing, been doing this. Well, tell me about that, Spike. I mean, this is incorporating this real world footage, bringing in something that we all know in our timeline and telling this historical story. What is it that you like about that? It's not something you're, you're recreating. The other day, we had a screening and Alfonso said, was that I said, Alfonso? We didn't stage nothing. All that stuff you've seen, that's real. Right. Because it looks so choreographed. But where, where's that stuff coming from? All the many sources from the footage for... Uh, Charlottesville? Yeah, Charlottesville. Many, many sources. You know, but we were trying to get as many sources as possible. We we're trying to get as many angles as possible. I mean, there's so many people shooting. Like that drone shot from above? Oh, yeah. yeah. I never saw that before. No. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I mean, but there's also a certain amount of footage that you couldn't clear, so we didn't, couldn't use them. Well, we use great footage, though. But also, I mean, Spike is also a filmmaker, like in Malcolm X in that opening. You know, he's constantly layering that opening. I mean, the first idea was, it's just a flag that burns down into an X, right? That was his first idea. And then it became, let's cut in Rodney King. And then it became, let's add Denzel. You know, he brought Denzel back in to do a speech. I mean, it's always layering, layering, layering. You know, I think that it was Spike... He keeps that freshness alive all the way through, you know, uh, being very open to 
Oh, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. There's something else here. Man, when we were doing, uh, when the levees broke, I remember we were scoring it. And you got to remember, it was still a real-time thing. And we actually scored it in New Orleans. And I forgot what the issue was, but he started to find out about some things happening, I think, with the pipeline or something like that. And uh, he had his guys go out and butch. I think he had to go out and get all of this stuff. And they were putting that stuff into the film at the last minute. So, like I said, it's all about the story. It's all about telling the story. Malcolm X, dude, that opening, first of all, Spike had given me the audio from Denzel doing the speech. Right. Man, I used to listen to that every day. I used to listen to that before I would start working. You know what I mean? You got to remember, that was the second film I ever scored in my life, mm. right? Mm. So I was scared to that death. That was the second one? Yeah, it was the second mm. film I ever scored. So I wanted to do my damnness, you know, my best job for that. And I would listen to that every day because I'm dealing with Spike Lee and Denzel Washington. You know what I mean? These are names that I knew, you know, guys that are really great at what they do. And that thing inspired me. That whole opening sequence, bro, was based for me on my experience, the first time I heard the recording of Malcolm X talking about revolution's gonna be bloody, right? I was out at a jazz camp playing in the park one weekend, man, and we took a break, and I'm a church guy. I grew up in the church, you know, grew up in a congregationalist church. We sang classical stuff. We didn't do none of that hooping and hollering, none of that stuff, right? No whooping and hollering? No, I didn't do none of that. <laughs> you know, and, and man, we took a break, and they put on one of them records, and when he started going through that stuff, and people were cheering, Scared me to death. That's the reason why you hear the, the bass drum in the opening, right? Because I figured for a lot of people who hadn't encountered Malcolm, it would be the same type of experience, right? So when that whole opening thing was powerful from the get-go, but, you know, just because of what he said, what they put together. And when it burned onto that X, oh, my God. I had never seen anything like that. And I said, oh, man, I remember saying I feel very blessed and lucky to be working on this project, and I'm going to do my damnness to make sure that nobody's going to be disappointed on my end of it because these guys were doing great work. And I can tell you how I felt. I said, what? What do you want to add? <laughs> <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> it burns out to an S. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <sighs> and now you want to know. Well, uh, gentlemen... Tans, thank you, Barry. Thank you very much. Spike, thank you so much yeah, for being here. It's been a, a wonderful, wonderful conversation. I really appreciate it. A lot thank of you. laughs. Thank, thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. So for LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening. 